This is an audio story for the digital edition of Landscape magazine. I'm Lauren Cabrera, and in this episode, we're talking about seaweed. When many of us think of seaweed, we think of brown, rubbery ribbons floating in the shallows of the beach, touching up against our legs and freaking us out as we swim at the shoreline. My mind also drifts to sushi or face masks at the day spa. Maybe it's the word weed in seaweed that gives the wrong impression, but it's hard to imagine someone loving such a plant. I was fascinated to learn from our guest today, Dr. John Huseman, about these marine plants that play such a vital role in our underwater ecosystems. Seaweed provides habitat and food for marine creatures and a chock full of vitamins, minerals and fibre. Dr. Huseman's passion for seaweed mirrors that of one of history's most beloved phycologists. That's a person who studies seaweed. His name was William Henry Harvey, and he visited Western Australia in the mid-1800s to take account of our marine botany. The similarities between Huseman and Harvey are not lost on many, and you'll see from my conversation with Dr. Huseman that his passion is contagious, much like Harvey's. And I feel if both men were alive at the same time, it would have made for a very good friendship. Welcome, John. Thank you, Laura. John, you're the curator of the Western Australian Herbarium here in Perth, but your real passion is marine botany. Can you tell us a little bit why you love underwater plants so much and what drew you to them? It, um, it actually all started off, I was a diver and I really got interested in sort of the, the, the marine environment and what I could learn in the marine environment. And I, I, when I was at university, I actually wanted to be a zoologist and I had all these plans to do various things. But then I was inspired by a lecturer and this lecturer offered me a one-year job to, um, to work in his lab, which was very mundane. I was just pressing seaweeds and doing all sorts of not so exciting things. But um, you know, at those at that stage of my life, it was a one, it was a job, and I was exposed to this this sort of new environment. And I went off on a dive trip, and I thought, well, I'll collect some seaweeds um, while I'm out there. This is up to the Barrier Reef. I was at Melbourne Uni at the time, and uh, and as part of that, I collected something that my supervisor or my my boss at the time had um, had described from many years ago that he he'd uh, collected from the Philippines. And so he got all excited and we got together and we wrote a little scientific paper about this new record of this Philippine alga, alga to uh, and Great Barrier Reef. And um, yeah, and from then on, I just thought, oh, well, let's let's keep going with this. I ended up doing honours and and uh, I suppose the rest is my history. But <laughs> and so that was in the last century, I must own up to. So <laughs> it was back in back in 1985 that I, uh, I actually finished my PhD and then came to Western Australia. And um, other than a short trip, to uh, or short two-year trip to Hawaii, um, I've been a Western Australian ever since, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, um, I I just love seaweeds. It's, it's um, when I first started seaweeds, people didn't know that much about seaweeds. You know, we, there weren't colour picture books. In fact, there were no textbooks at all. And um, and back so back in the 1900s, John. <laughs> back in the 1900s, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, and so we didn't re- we didn't really have anything to work with, and so it was um, it was a, a very much a sort of a a, a blank field for for um, for people to do research. So, how did you come across William Henry Harvey, and why was his work important? Well, um, Harvey's Harvey is important. Funny, it was the funny thing when I first started. As I said, there were no textbooks, um, and then one. A, a photo book came out called uh, Seaweeds of Australia, and it was essentially photos of seaweeds that people had collected and taken a photo in the lab. So it wasn't it wasn't uh, seaweeds in the natural environment, but it was still you know in, in still um, a good resource. Um, but I knew Harvey from historical things, and um, there was actually a book that had um, was Seaweeds of South Australia, 
that had actually reproduced some of Harvey's Harvey's illustrations that he'd done way back when, and um, but done them in, re reproduced them in black and white and very tiny little things, and so it wasn't wasn't very inspiring. But then um, I started learning more about Harvey just because his name was associated with so many of these seaweeds that he'd actually described them, and then Sophie Ducker, who was a uh, his, his she was a phycologist and a historian at Melbourne University, um, collated all of Harvey's letters. Harvey was, a, was an amazing letter writer and he, was, he, um, he constantly is communicating with family and associates back in, um, back in Ireland. And, um, and she, she wrote a book collating all his letters and that was very inspiring when you sort of realised what, what he'd done, how he'd, um, how he'd travelled to Australia, what his purpose was. But then also when he went back and this, this contribution that he'd made to um, understanding seaweeds, it's um, quite phenomenal. So this was the 1850s that he visited Western Australia? Yes, he came, he came in 1854 um, and then he travelled down to Cape Reach and, you know, um, um, Rottnest Island, Garden Island, places like that. And he collected a huge number of specimens. Um, a lot of the people in those days, they were sort of explorers, but they would collect specimens and then take them back and then sell them to, to support their trip. Um, and so Harvey would collect multiples, multiples of things. And this is, a, this is a sort of a standard practice. Harvey wasn't the first to do this in Western Australia. He came in 1854. And, um, prior to that, there was a, uh, a German guy, Johann Price, and he, he'd done something similar. But when um, Price, Price handed all his specimens over to a botanist called Sonder, and Sonder described them, but there was very sort of minimal descriptions and no illustrations. And Sonder did the weirdest thing. He's, he didn't actually give locations where the specimens were collected from. He just said <laughs> Western Australia or, you know, in, not in, in English in those days. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of information was lost, unfortunately, from that, from that collection. Whereas Harvey came and, as I said, he collected huge numbers. You know, there were records of him collecting 700 specimens in one day, pressing wow. 700 specimens. So he was a, he was a hard worker. And, yeah. and then um, he, after he left Western Australia, he went over to Melbourne and, um, and Sydney and then went back to, um, uh, after he went back to Dublin, he produced this marvellous five-volume book called uh, Phycologia Australica. Mm. And that's the thing that I think mo inspires most people. With its beautiful artwork, his artwork is incredible. Yes, yes, he, uh, he, yeah. I think you know he obviously loved seaweeds as well. It mm. wasn't just a, it, it was a passion for him, not just a, a, um, a job, I suppose. And he, uh, he, he he's a beautiful artwork. And it, like I said, it wasn't until quite late that I was exposed to the actual originals, um, because the. It's not a rare book, but it's it's certainly not something in everybody's library. Mm. <laughs> um, and all I'd seen of it were these sort of poor black and white reproductions in a in a uh, in a book from South Australia. And then you know the web came along and people scanned it, and all of a sudden you could see these beautiful illustrations. Um, so as I said, he went back. He went back to Dublin. He produced this five volume five volumes of um, colour plates, three hundred different colour plates, wow. and um, and it, it's it's really inspiring. And they're still you know, to this day, they're still informative. Um, they, they, uh, they're beautiful illustrations. You know, they he really did, are. did them all himself. He didn't color them himself. He did the, he, they were lithographs and he did the, the original set out. But then he apparently had, uh, he had a, a team of, um, ladies, I think, um, oh, wow. who were actually doing the watercolors. Mm. And so each one was, was essentially an original. And sometimes you can see different volumes of the same, um, of the, well, sorry, different versions of the same volume with slightly different colouring in them. It's uh, it's quite fun to fun to investigate. 
And but, there's um, something pretty special about Harvey, wasn't there? The way he writes, his passion comes through, his love comes through, and he seemed like a real congenial fellow. You can tell from his letters and just his writing in general. Um, so can you tell me a bit about, we're learning how he kind of roped in people to help him with studying seaweed. People of quite well repute, you know, in, in the day, the water, head of the water police and all sorts of stuff. Can you tell me a bit about him as a man and how his passion was so contagious? Yeah, well, as you say, contagious. I think contagious is a good word. Um, yeah, he, he would get people to help him, you know, and all of a sudden they, they, um, he infused them with this passion mm. for seaweed as well. And so, as you say, the water police, um, Clifton, and then people would, even after Harvey left, they, would, they, they <laughs> decided this is a, this is a good thing to do. I'll collect more seaweeds and they, and sent specimens to Harvey in Dublin. So a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the people in those days, um, like they're, you know, Seaweeds were eventually named for them, um, and they kept up this passion. It was quite uh, quite exciting. And as I said, Harvey he was a he was a, an amazing letter writer, and you know I imagine he was just as um, interesting in his natural in his day to day speak as he is in his letters. And um, he's he had sort of this marvelous prose, the way he described things. And it's a shame these days, you know, scientific writing I think really misses out. Um, a lot of times because because we're, we're very restricted to the sort of the dry descriptions and things like that. Um, and But, you know, when you read Harvey, you actually feel his passion come through. And he often sort of, you know, he ties everything to seaweeds. So, yes. you know, he's, he's um, one of the examples I always use is when he was talking about when he was um, in uh, Sri Lanka and he, you know, he had... Uh, um, uh, mosquito bites on his forehead and he said they are they're the same as a iridea in full fruit which if you know <laughs> what it is iridea is a red alga and you know if you if it was um if it was reproductive it would have all these red bumps on it so it's you know he's he's very descriptive in the way he does it but uh, yeah it's it's he um i think an inspiring person and yeah, for multiple reasons Absolutely. and one that i was I, you know i still like to look at his uh, look at his illustrations you know, how wonderful is that um, so what is it about seaweed? I mean, I think seaweed, I think sushi. I think, you know, rich people wrapped in a seaweed wrap at the day spa. <laughs> um, but you just read that it's full of nutrients. It's packed full of, you know, fibre and, and all these kinds of things. So, And also I'm hearing about agriculture and that algae and seaweed, which I believe are the same thing. Is that right? Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that could be an alternative for um, food for cattle grazing. So can you tell me a bit about why seaweed is so important and what makes it so special? Okay, well for me, for me it wasn't um that wasn't the reason I got into it. I got into seaweed because I just loved I, I to me it was a it was it was an unknown field. There was discovery there, you could find new species and that's how I became a taxonomist, just trying to, you know, discovering and and describing what's there. Um and a lot and but of course seaweed is a it's a a multi-billion-dollar um, um, product as well, you know, worldwide. It, um, you know, as you say, there are all sorts of different things. The sushi you mentioned, which is you know everywhere now. Mm. You know, when I first started, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't have encountered sushi back in back in the 1900s. In the 1900s. <laughs> in the 1900s. <laughs> you wouldn't have encountered sushi because people just didn't, you know, didn't have that sort of ex um, that broad range of tastes. But now, of course, you know, with a lot of Japanese influence, we get the sushi. Um, but a lot of the other products as well, and some of these have been, you know, people have known about these for years. I mean, you know, seaweeds have been used as fertilizers. So um, in... Sea salt. In sea salt, yeah. Sea salt is a good example. But, in, but even, you know, going way back when, they would um, collect brown algae and then bury it in their fields just mm. to give it, give it, use it as a fertilizer. Because there are things in the algae that they they can't recreate. You know, they, it's um, it's wonderful. So going back to 
algae and seaweeds. <laughs> algae, so, not algae. That's right. Well, right. it's algae and algar. Algar. <laughs> so it's algar, the plural. No, alga is the singular. Right. Algae <laughs> <laughs> is the plural. Algae is the plural. So seaweeds. Um, look, I'm I'm happy to call them seaweeds, even though there's that sort of connotation that of, of weeds. I yes. really don't feel that, and most people don't. Um, I know that there are pe- there have been people that get very frustrated with them calling seaweeds because of that reason. Um, Brian Womersley, who was a who was a phycologist in South Australia, he would be very insistent that you wouldn't call them seaweeds. They were marine benthic algae, so, <laughs> which always seemed to be a bit, you know, when you're, when you're reading a, a book that says marine benthic algae of versus seaweeds of. I think seaweeds just has more of a connection to people rather than marine benthic algae. So the seaweeds are algae, yes, um, but they're all the, the macroscopic algae. So they're the big ones that you might see. Right. Um, there's also the phytoplankton, which are also algae. So the single celled organisms that, um, you know, the water is full of as well. So, um, and, you know, phytoplankton occur in, in fresh waters, marine, all, that, all those situations. Um, and in, and there are terrestrial algae as well. So they're, they're all over the place. Algae is a, it's a, a t- it's a sort of a collective term for simple, um, simple photosynthetic, photosynthetic organisms. So just things that, you know, that, as I said, photosynthetic organisms that don't have any um, veins or vascular tissue like terrestrial plants would have, most that's terrestrial a, plants. a nice segue to talk about seagrasses then. It is. And um, so seagrasses, um, sea, seaweeds or algae are the sort of more primitive plants, I suppose, and they don't have vascular tissue, so the veins and things like that. Whereas seagrasses are really... Um, terrestrial plants that have returned to the ocean. Mm. And so they do. Um, now, there's probably about worldwide, I'd say about 10,000 species of seaweed, um, and but then undoubtedly more. They're, they're, that's about what we know. Um, sea grasses, there's only about 60 worldwide, and Australia has about 30 of those. So wow. we're very diverse, and, um, and yeah, sea grasses are very, very important um, ecosystems. Why are they called the lungs of the sea? Well, they photosynthesize, so it's you know all all plants are essentially the lungs of the sea. Um, you know, people also suggest phytoplankton, so the single-celled organisms are also photosynthesizing. Mm. They they're also producing oxygen. So, you know, the, anything that photosynthesizes in the ocean, I suppose seagrasses perhaps more so because you do get those huge great beds. You know, if you go for a snorkel, you can snorkel mm. over over acres and acres. Or hectares and hectares, sorry, of uh, of uh, seagrasses, and you know places like Shark Bay, where the seagrasses, you know, it's one of the largest seagrass beds in the world. Wow! So it's um, yeah, quite phenomenal. Do you know anything about the alternative for um, cattle food using seagrass? Oh yes, yeah. Yes. Can you we touch so, on that a bit? Well, so um, the seagrass or seaweeds have been used in all sorts of different things. You mentioned the thing about foods, but there's also, you know, medicines as well. Um, you know, a lot of the compounds that are taken from seaweeds are, are thickening agents. Um, if we can you know, even talk about bandages used in wound healing and now, you know, uh, alginates, which come from, from brown seaweeds wow. um, to stop them, stop the bandage stick sticking to the wound. The most interesting one recently is people discovered that uh, this red seaweed called asparagopsis, which um, is... Uh, has bromoform in it. It's quite, it's quite, got quite a few active compounds in it. And if you feed asparagopsis in very, very small quantities to, um, to ruminants, so sheep and cattle and things like that, it, um, it actually stops the methane production. So, um, right. and methane being the big issue. Yeah. One of the world's worst, mm. um, um, sort of climate, you know, altering gases. Um, so if you can actually 
stop methane production in these in these animals, um, you, the potential there is to reduce reduce methane output, and it could be quite um, quite significant. So there's a lot of interest now. A lot of a lot of groups are actually doing research and trying to grow asparagopsis artificially. Um, there's not enough out there in the wild you know, wild population. I mean, it is quite common and it's quite widespread, but it, there's certainly not enough to, to actually feed all the, all the, uh, the, the stock that would require it. So, stop that land clearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just to wrap up, John, um, what does the future look like for seaweeds and seagrasses? And what do you reckon Harvey would say about the state of play in the marine botany world at the moment? Uh, look, I think, I think Harvey would enjoy that there are people, you know, interested in what's been going on. I think he would enjoy that there are now, you know, colour picture books of seaweeds and things like that so that people can actually see the beauty of the seaweeds and not just, you know, things washed up on the beach. Uh, I think he would possibly be a bit worried about, you know, some of the decline in, in ecosystems. Um, you know, Western Australia, for example, has had, you know, marine heat waves which have, have done some damage. And so we're constantly, you know, battling that sort of those environmental degradation. But I think... One of, the, one of the outcomes of this, this uh, increased interest in seaweeds now is that people are paying more attention to it and people are realising that it's not just all that yucky stuff washed up on the beach. It's a valuable product and it's a valuable ecosystem um, provider. So, you know, for, for nurseries, for nursery grounds, for fishes and things like that. So, you know, it's an important thing. So <laughs> the other thing you, we, we probably do, we do need to mention is that not, they're not all wonderful. There are some invasive seaweeds as well. And, uh, and so we have to be careful about quarantine procedures and making sure that the invasive seaweeds don't get in because they also, like any, in the true sense of the weed, um, they have the potential to, to really overgrow areas and, um, and take out a lot of the native, um, native flora. So that would be a shame. So I think this, I think the future's bright in some respects, in that you know people are paying more attention, people are more interested. No, um, they don't think of them as weeds, even though we still persist in calling them weeds. Um, but I think they're like everything in the world. We really need to take care of it. Um, we really need to you know uh, assess climate change, you know, and and make sure that we keep our environments. Um, it pristine so that these seaweeds can grow. Thank you so much for your time today, John. I'll certainly be thinking about William Harvey the next time I'm eating my sushi. You can read all about William Henry Harvey in the latest edition of Landscape magazine, out now. This audio story was brought to you by Landscape magazine, published by Western Australia's Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions. For more information and to subscribe to the print edition of the magazine, visit shop dbca.wa.gov.au